FM, your community radio station. Also streaming online at www.wvew.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understandings, making connections. On the air every Sunday at noon. We're a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. My name is Amar Langsdorf. All right, and I'm Henry Zucchini, and we're doing a show together today. We're both teachers in the local area. Amar, um, you teach what grade? I teach 7th through 12th graders. Okay, and I teach 9th through 12th graders locally. And um, today we're going to be discussing the coronavirus uh, pandemic with a view towards uh, its manifestation in the U.S. Uh, with an eye on the nature of capitalism as a system built on crisis and inequality. Uh, and that these elements of our economic system will prove most likely to have a devastating effect um, uh, given this this current crisis. So we're going to delve into the nature of capitalism, the nature of uh, the pandemic that we're currently undergoing, and see how those two intersect um, in this current reality. But before, first, before we do that, we have a song. Amar, you want to tell us anything about the song? Yes. Before we go into it? So this song is called Fall of the American Empire. It's by a band called State Radio, and it is very apt with the crumbling that we're seeing in response and that is being revealed by this crisis right now. I think it's very apt. Okay, we'll be right back after this quick, short song break. This one song of a nation Everyone's waiting for you inside We got soda pop and hickory stills Quindy Eskimo and espadrilles And Sally making you feel alright all the baroness and her bayonets The night had a hedging bets Against the good judgment of the swinging king Is this the fall of the American Empire? But don't you worry, honey, you didn't miss a thing Juiced up dignitaries getting loose like the loneliest dead we got our own sanctimonious kid And he can suck the diamond off a diamond ring Just send in the farmers in the National Guard We'll be in the war room getting hard Just wear your dress blues, you know you look so damn dashing Don't be shy, Sally won't bite you Cause she got a pencil Shut up. 
Welcome back. You are listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. And today we are talking about the coronavirus and what it is showing to us about our healthcare system and the crisis that capitalism is in. Okay, great. And I think I wanted to start more broadly. We're going to kind of begin an overview and then drill down into how the pandemic is affecting our healthcare system specifically. But before we do that, in order to really understand the thing comprehensively, I think we have to look at capitalism as a system that's built on crisis. Um, And when I say that, a lot of people might say, well, what do you mean by a system built on crisis? Well, um, as as people probably know in this country, major industries are privatized for profit organizations. They're built on speculation in markets. It means people are essentially gambling with with their money um, to, to bet these corporations up or down, not necessarily even based on their performance, just to really profit off of what they're doing in the world. And and that, that capitalism tends towards always almost always monopoly, monopoly capital. So we have a massive consolidation of industries where there's a f- very few players in each market that kind of control not only the market itself, but also the, the levers of government. So monopoly capital works to um, in, in both those directions, both politically and economically, to kind of control what's happening. Um, and capitalist economists euphemistically call this the business, the boom and bust uh, cycle that we're undergoing. And it's every 10 to 15 years is an economic crisis. And they call that euphemistically the business cycle, which I think is nice because it makes it sound like it's the water cycle or uh, you know the evaporative cycle or mm-hmm. uh, something along those lines, that it's somehow mm-hmm. nature, that it's just a part of nature and not a human-created reality. Right, absolutely. Um, and so we see... Right, we see we see capitalism with these these booms and these busts and ever and these these crises that come off and in fact it's built on these crises. Yet when, so we would think that then in a system that's built on crisis, it is engineered to respond well to these right. crises. We'd be right? ready for it because we know it happens. Right, but every ten to fifteen years, it's happening. Exactly. Yeah. But mm-hmm. what actually does happen when we see these crises? Right. Exactly. And that's kind of the fun thing to talk about because what, what we don't think about is, is Americans are deeply, many of us are deeply attached to the idea of capitalism and how that works. But what I think is, is a little less known or thought about is that every time the crisis comes, um, we, we become a socialist nation. I don't mean that literally. We're not becoming, we're actually becoming socialist. But, but essentially what the big businesses do um, is they rely on socialism to bail them out. And so in the last crisis, we had a mortgage, more. Um, people issuing banks issuing mortgages that were bailed out. We had car companies ba- being bailed out. We had other banks, corporate banks, being bailed out by the government to the tune of trillions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And so, um, just as this was happening, um, it happens in two ways: they're being bailed out, and also in the entire time of the boom as they're going along, they're price gouging from all of us because of monopoly capital. It means that prices are constrained, and we pay up market rates for everything from cell phones to airline tickets. And so they're gouging us on two levels: they gouge us once when they take. From from us in terms of higher prices mm-hmm. to make massive profits for the, a very small group of people. And then when the crisis hits, they go, oh, daddy, mommy, government, mm-hmm. which is essentially all of us going, oh, bail us out now because we're, we're sorry. We didn't, you know, we won't do it the next right, time. Right. So. And at the same time that conversations are happening in the political sphere and that people are, are pushing for more, uh, for government spending to go towards more social programs and helping out people as opposed to corporations, we hear such repetitive rhetoric about how there isn't money for that kind of stuff. We couldn't support things like that at the same time that billions and even trillions of dollars are going into 
supporting major corporations and making sure that they survive this crisis. Right. And I, I anticipate, and, and most people do, the airline, the airline industry is crashing as we speak. Massive cuts to international and domestic flights. They will not survive without us giving them money. All, as I said, all along the lines, we've been paying a premium for their flights, for the service they're providing the public for years. I mean, we pay much higher rates than we would pay in a supposedly competitive capitalist model that doesn't exist anywhere. But right. it, theoretically, if it did exist, we'd pay a much lower price, and we don't because it's monopoly capital. The other thing I want to address, too, is that the system the system creates, capitalism always creates, deep social inequities. We can see this anytime a country becomes more capitalist, immediately fall, uh, wealth inequality immediately follows. And so we have run away wealth inequality in this country. Um, and so when a situation like this arises, people, broadly speaking, the public, broadly speaking, do not have the financial ability to withstand the crisis that's being imposed upon them. They're living on the margins. They're not able to meet their basic needs. And so you and I work in the public schools. And one of the conversations, Amar, has been, holy crap, how do we deal with this? We love our students. We care for them deeply. We work with them every day in a very intimate way that teachers only, well, not only parents know it too, but you know, as far mm -hmm. as in this public sphere mm -hmm. that, that only public teachers really know or teachers know, and we care about these students deeply. And the reality is for public school students in the United States, 51% are in free or reduced lunch. So a main conversation, why they haven't pulled the plug on closing our schools has been how do we feed these children? Mm -hmm. that's, and, that's an astounding number, right? Yeah, astounding. Yeah. And Right, exactly. It it is clear. We'll we'll dive more into the the public health crisis that is really being exposed here. But it is clear for the safety of people that what needs to happen is schools need to be shut down, and this the the we need to slow things down. But exactly when so many people are reliant on the school system to eat two meals a day, often then yes. it it would require putting alternate systems in place to make sure that those people get food, which is a, a which is a whole can of worms that it seems that the government is not willing to open up at this point. Right. It does not want to get into, basically. And it's a, it's a rightful fear. I mean, the, the state of Vermont has basically come out and said that. We're worried about how these kids will be fed, and other states have said the same thing. The question, of course, becomes, why in a country that's so rich like this one are we having questions about how to feed our children, that school is a repository where we feed our children? Now, I'm not opposed to schools feeding children, but it shouldn't be a situation where, 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 where schools are feeding children because families really don't have access to resources. If schools, right. I mean, schools feeding children, great, but it's because so many families are under-resourced. Um, I just want to do this little experiment before we go to our next break, which is, or we're going to go to a clip, I'm sorry. But um, taking U.S. wealth broadly, in other words, if you took all of the wealth in the United States and you divided it by every single man, woman, and child in the country, and you aggregated that to a family, a family of four would have about a million dollars in assets of wealth. And if you're like, oh, uh, Henry Amar, that's a crazy communistic idea. I would say, okay, well, let's have that. Let's say a family of four would have $500,000 in assets. So even much less wealth equal than I was proposing. I'd say, oh, no, that's still outrageous. That's, that's completely unconscionable. How could you possibly have a, a system that's even remotely fair? I'd say, okay, well, let's make it a quarter. Let's say every family has $250,000 thousand dollars of assets in a crisis like this well we could easily say even the even the most backwards person could realize from an economic point of view that if every family had two hundred fifty thousand dollars in assets at their disposal the crisis would be much less severe right and you that know. and that cushion would would significantly decrease the risks for society at large and we're going to dive deep deeper into this and in, in fact the, the next clip that we'll listen to soon will be about this about how um what is really being exposed is that the people, the most marginalized and the people at the fringes of our social system 
it's not just a problem that impacts them essentially it's we're we're seeing more and more that this is this is a crisis that affects every human being and that the more people who don't have access to the resources that they need to turn to in a crisis like this that deeply impacts the whole of society and one would hope that we live in a place where people could be moved by the struggles of others but we've seen for such a long time that you can turn your back to the struggles that people can turn their back to that and we're seeing in this case that that it affects more than the people without health care, basically, right. right? Because you can't say, oh, it's a pandemic. Only only the um, poor will be impacted and, and, and the rich will not be impacted. Well, of course, it doesn't work that way with, with this. And that's why it's this is quite, it's almost, and I hate to use this word, but it's almost like seeing capitalism in a laboratory, literally, so we can see how this manifests in the crisis. One more thing to add before we go into this, this clip that Amar is going to introduce is that, um, and so as I said, as far as equality, if we, we cut in, in a quarter, my, my bold proposition that we'd be spreading wealth equally, even a quarter of that, $250,000 per family, we'd have some buffer. But instead, what we have is a country where 83 million adults, and this is according to the Federal Reserve Bank, so this is not radical propaganda here, 83 million adults cannot come up with $400 in an emergency. That's really where we live in right now. Wow. And so when you have a crisis like this, where people are immediately, the people on the margins are losing their jobs, losing losing shifts, losing income, um, losing where they're going to put their kids in childcare, et cetera, et cetera. Four hundred dollars a day ain't squat, right? Yeah, it's, it's not. It's yeah. insufficient. It's nothing. Yeah. So we are going to uh, we're going to listen to a short clip here. This is from a podcast called Deconstructed that's put out by The Intercept um, and is run or is hosted by journalist Mehdi Hassan. Um, yes, he does work for The Intercept. He also hosts a segment for Al Jazeera, and in this clip he is talking about the structural inequities that are being exposed by the spread of the coronavirus okay here we go and it will add to our costs and our dangers absolutely in a enormously depressing and significant way welcome to deconstructed i'm mehdi hassan we're in the midst of a corona crisis and we have a president who can't or won't lead and an economic system that's just not fit for purpose. When this pandemic started, our Secretary of Health and Human Services was talking about how the private markets would organize the response. Unbelievable. That's my guest, the world-famous economist and author, Professor Jeffrey Sachs. So on today's Deconstructed, it's capitalism versus the coronavirus. 254 people die from coronavirus in China on the deadliest day of the outbreak so far. If millions of people contract the coronavirus, the death toll could still run into the hundreds of thousands. The coronavirus outbreak is worse than any terror attack. The terror of the virus is increasing at every moment. Some people are, are predicting the apocalypse. It is difficult to describe, summarize, or express with sufficient outrage the many myriad ways in which the Trump administration has screwed up beyond belief in response to the coronavirus pandemic, as the World Health Organization officially classified it on Wednesday. Remember, lots of countries are dealing with the political, economic, public health fallout from this virus, but none have handled it as badly as the United States, as the Trump administration. The denialism about the scale of the problem, the failure to test in anywhere near sufficient numbers, even now. The earlier refusal 
by this president to allow Americans back onto American soil simply because he didn't want the numbers to go up and make him look bad. I like the numbers being where they are. I don't need to have the numbers double because of one ship. If they want to take them off, they'll take them off. But if that happens, all of a sudden your 240 is obviously going to be a much higher number and probably the 11 will be a higher number. According to stats collected by Business Insider, as of March 8th, the US had a testing rate of five tests per million people. That compares to 347 tests per million in the UK and more than three and a half thousand tests per million people in South Korea. More than three and a half. So we're going to dive a little bit later in the show. We'll dive more into how the US has bungled the response thus far to the coronavirus. But I want to also read a quote uh, that Mehdi Hassan goes into just a little bit farther in that podcast that I think it really, it really sums up. It really sums up a lot of what we're seeing right now. So this quote is, because the coronavirus is really highlighting, showing up the deficiencies in capitalism, it really is, especially the U.S. economy, the U.S. hardcore capitalist model, which is just not geared for a crisis like this. I mean, not just in terms of scientific research, but also, guess what? It turns out that not having universal health care not having federally guaranteed paid sick leave for workers and allowing big pharma to lead the way on vaccines and the pricing of vaccines isn't the best move when you're confronted with a pandemic like the coronavirus, which requires people to be able to get tested quickly, which requires people to self-quarantine and stay home from work when they suspect they might have it, which requires everyone to get vaccinated eventually in order to stop the spread. So I wanted to read that quote from Mehdi Hassan there from the deconstructed podcast by intercept by the intercept because i really think it it does it explains um it explains so clearly what is what is coming to the forefront and these are structural deficiencies in capitalism that have existed for a very long time but they're really being brought to the forefront in a way that cannot be ignored as readily as people have managed to ignore it it's interesting too that the word, the, how the word crisis is being used, because it has kind of double meanings here. We know, we see that capitalism as a system is built on crisis. In other words, people speculate, they gamble, they drive up prices, they drive up stocks and bonds, etc. And then the and then the system crashes, and then there's a crisis. But this is also a this is a, a crisis that is also a health crisis operating at the same time. I don't know if that's if that's it's interesting the play of words there. We have an actual health crisis and then we have a system built on crisis but not a system that's able to respond well to crisis. Right, it's just so strange. It, it really is. Yeah. So what are we going to do next, Amar? Are we going to take a short song break and then come back in after the break? Yes, we are going to we're going to listen to a song by Bruce Springsteen or a clip of a song by Bruce Springsteen here. Um this is a song called How Can a Poor Man Stand Such Times and Live? And then we will get back into this, and we are going to focus a little bit more specifically on what we're seeing in the healthcare system as a response to the coronavirus. Well, a doctor comes round here with his face all bright And he says in a little while you'll be all right All he gives 
us a dope and a great big bill. Tell me, how can a poor man stand such times and Me and my old school pals had some mighty high times down here. Welcome back. We are, um, this is Indigo Radio. This is on Community Radio, WVEW 107.7 FM, Brattleboro, Vermont. Just want to remind people that the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests and not the radio station in particular. And today we're discussing the crisis of capitalism. We are discussing the nature of the pandemic that we're currently undergoing and how capitalism as a system is responding or not responding to this pandemic. Amar, you had some things you wanted to say in terms of uh, American ideology and how this might be impacting, um, or no, I'm sorry, you're going to talking about how um, capitalism is incapable of responding based on the kind of ideology, how it's, it's incapable of responding in some level to the crisis. That's right. So 
Like we'd heard from that quote from Mehdi Hassan just before the break, we're really seeing coming to the surface the the crisis of capitalism at the forefront in a in an absolutely tangible way here. So we're seeing the coronavirus expose expose the the incapability of capitalism to respond to a crisis like coronavirus that is collective in nature, right? And we have a system that is at least for poor working class middle class people it is built on every person for themselves of course we see that socialism and those bailouts for corporations we'll keep talking about that but 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 for most people it is a system that is built on every person for themselves being able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and when we see a collective crisis like this that it is that it is that is built on that to be res- to respond effectively to has to be handled collectively. collectively. Exactly. Yes, that right. has what one person does impacts everybody else. Right. And we have a system that is basically built on, hey, do who cares about everybody else? You do what's do best what you for want. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. We see how that's we see how that's so deeply broken at right. this time. As right? long as you don't cause a revolution or try to overthrow right. the capitalist system, do whatever you want. Right. Or as long as you're not resisting in any way. If you're resisting, well then good luck to you. You might be thrown in jail or tracked by the FBI, the NSA, et cetera. But as long as you're you know, just buying things and staying in your own in your own lane, we won't bother you. It's interesting Absolutely. too. I, I think of how China responded to this crisis, and I think of China as kind of a totalitarian capitalist state. They have elements of communism, but there's also a lot of kind of totalitarianism in that mm-hmm. country. But there is, um, I think, in China, from my understanding, there's a more of a of a sense of collectivity among the population than we have in this mm-hmm. country. People are are more collectively minded, and so in countries that are that way, I would imagine there's an easier it's an easier um, row to hoe if you're going that direction because you have people already saying, "Okay, we do need to pull this together, right. not not apart." And in right, and that's not a a mentality or an approach that we typically see in this country, right? Of like, oh, let yeah. me see what Unless I can do. Unless it's for the wealthy. The socialism exactly. For the wealthy, right? Yeah. Yeah, right? So. But we don't see a lot of people like, oh, let me see how I can best impact the, the country at large here. And so it's a lot of like, uh, I think I'll be fine, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about this, so I will just go out and continue about my daily business. But what we clearly need is a collective response that takes into account the most vulnerable populations. Right of our society. That's right, because you can't, a lot of people are saying, and, and I've been saying this too, but not in the tent sense of we shouldn't be, I've been saying to my students, because they're getting nervous, and I said, look, you yourself individually won't be impacted, but we have to think of everyone that you might come in contact right. with. So the issue is, yes, on the one hand, you're right, you, your person will not be impacted, mm-hmm. but the problem is that young people are, they're vectors for the disease, right. and so, and, and what they're finding out now is the disease manifests itself it spreads most highly what they're finding out and they didn't think this before you have symptoms. There's right. huge viral loads people are holding on right. to. Young people who aren't really heavily impacted but they're spreading to older people right. and people that are more vulnerable. And so right. the individual like, hey, it's not going to hurt me doesn't really work. Exactly. Right? It's such a direct reflection of how well we take care of, of vulnerable people in our population, right? It's like, yes, as a young person, with a as a relatively healthy young person, I will probably fine be fine. But how I move and how we respond to this really shows how we take care of older people in our society, of vulnerable people, and of more than just 
individuals. Yeah. And to the credit of my students, I, I really was impressed this week because it really came on board. I mean, so many of my classes this week, I teach economics, I teach diversity. So many of them got diverted into a discussion of the coronavirus and how it impacted those. Naturally. So diversity issues and economic issues. And it was quite fascinating. And to the credit of the students, they were actually quite compassionate. And many of them were mm. very nervous about spreading it, spreading it to parents who are vulnerable or to teachers who are vulnerable. And they, they had that understanding. So mm -hmm. that was kind of reassuring. They weren't just thinking about their own bodies. They were thinking about the bodies around them. And that was that was kind of, um, it gave me hope for, yeah. for a better world or, yeah. Yeah, well, that that's really interesting because I see that as, as humans, natural response like mm -hmm. we have developed communally and we are programmed to be communal beings that that can only survive when we're looking out for each other and when we're taking our actions into account in terms of the collective and it has been it's been what capitalism has done to divide us and to try to make us think of ourselves and act purely as individuals that in crisis like this, we see it kind of going two ways, right? On the one hand, we can see the disaster capitalism approach and the maximum personal profit off of this. And at the same time, we see incredible acts of communal solidarity in right. response to crisis like this. Right. Because human beings, as you said, are, are inclined that way. Mm -hmm. I always tell my students, look, we're, we're, we're hairless, we're slow, we're weak, we're blind <laughs> at night, we're, we're not very, you know, we're slow runners. We wouldn't have not have survived. Right. We would, you and I would not here, be here talking to each other unless we were collectively endeavoring to get through this very dangerous world for humans. Right. Now we've come to dominate the world. But, you know, for much of our existence, the vast majority of human existence, we needed each other. And those things, we capitalism can't contain that in some ways, which is maybe the beautiful, hopeful part of the story right. is that, is that, that that co the collective is always a powerful force that capitalism is fighting against it and must fight against it because it's a it's an antithetical ideology to collectivity and so right. it's it's you see this conflict arise and it's kind of interesting right now just to segue a little bit if you don't mind yeah. the socialism for the rich we mentioned that a few times but right now this week in the rose garden um that the heads of industry were meeting with president trump as they always do in these crises we said earlier Oh, the poop hits the fan, and, and what do the corporations do? Oh, daddy, mommy, give me money now after they've already you know raised prices on us and bilked us. Already for profited up. Already the profited. They want to. They mm -hmm. want to come. And and this week, some of the solutions are coming up with, which actually are in theory good. Like, um, uh, let's pass a, a paid sick leave bill. Oh, um, we need to offer free testing so we can find out where this disease is spreading. Well, interestingly enough, the free t the the bill that's passed in Congress, signed by Democrats or Republicans, is saying, oh yes, every sick leave is guaranteed except for those. Um, employers who have over 500 employees wow <laughs> it's just, wow it's outrageous you couldn't right? even you couldn't even script this in a novel and have people believe that that's what's actually going on that's right. what the bill says right now continuing to provide the most support for massive corporations that needed the, needed the least that needed the least yeah. Well, throwing people under the bus and saying, "Ah, y'all, you'll be fine." You'll you know? be fine. You'll That's be right. fine. I mean, it's it's really just it's un it's it's shocking and saying essentially to the businesses that don't have as much money, "Hey, you bail out these guys. Give you give them sick leave. The com the companies that probably can't even right, afford the, it or as the well. smaller companies that don't actually have the resources to do that. <laughs> I don't, just yeah. it's, it's it's stunning. It's stunning, but somehow not. It's utterly predictable because right. it's the same the same crisis that happened ten years, twelve years ago, and the two thousand eight crisis. So it's it's predictable, but uh, exactly. Yeah. It's shocking but it's not surprising right because exactly. we've seen it and so i also want to talk about dive a little bit more specifically into the healthcare system because that is really one of the major things that's coming to light is the failure of the private healthcare system to respond to this crisis and how it is how it is making it so clear that we need a 
far improved public health right. system. We need socialized medicine that can actually provide people collectively with quality care yes and um, should we listen to this clip from democracy now yes let's do that okay so this is a clip um, which uh, alfredo morabia who's an epidemiologist talks about um access to water uh, some of the stuff in this clip is again fairly outrageous um which people may not know but but poor residents in detroit who couldn't afford their water their water was turned off and so this clip says the detroit mayor is saying well okay now if they pay 25 dollars, we'll put their water back on because of the crisis so anyway that's coming up and he's also going to talk about again the nature of humans as collective beings in terms of when we get sick so let's listen to this clip and then you and i can discuss it when, when we come right. back. it's about three minutes long so here we go dugan uh announced monday that the city would restore service to thousands of households whose water was shut off the governor and i uh sat down and said we're going to have a solution that no resident of the city of detroit has their water shut off for lack of funds. If you receive a shutoff notice, it's come in the mail or it's hung on your door, you can avoid your water shut off by paying $25. And we will keep your rates at $25 a month as long as COVID-19 remains a health threat in this community. So that's the Detroit mayor announcing, <clears throat> making this announcement after the city and state of Michigan came under fire last week for declining to restore service. Congressmember Rashida Tlaib, who represents a part of Detroit, tweeted the Michigan governor and lieutenant governor on Saturday, quote, no disrespect, but I'm still waiting to hear the plan that includes getting people's water back on as this disease spreads. Please don't forget poor families. They deserve protection with no access to water. We're putting them in jeopardy. Um, this is a critical point, Dr. Marabia. I mean, for years, activists in Detroit have been saying this is an outrage you're cutting off people's water. You keep it on for the corporations, even when they don't pay their taxes, but you cut it off to the individual people. Now they're talking about turning it back on. Can you talk about the significance of this and, once again, how it highlights how different people are treated, um, but how these health issues threaten everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that uh, this uh, pandemic shows that uh, the idea that uh, uh, reducing access to welfare to the poor in order to uh, stimulate them uh, to, to get jobs or uh, to uh, get the, the, the immigrants become self-sufficient, etc., in order uh, to reduce uh, public expenses, this thing don't work. But in addition, they make us more vulnerable because the problem of access to care, access to hygiene, access to sanitation, you mentioned water, but uh, we're going to have uh, access to tests now. And if we have a treatment by the end of the year, access to treatment. And next year, very important, if we have a vaccine, people must have access to the vaccine, too. I mean, and all these issues are key. We are uh, like a single organism, you know, like a collective individual. And this is how we have to consider ourselves. The all these anti-poor, anti-immigrant, and I would say also anti-science, because there's been this tendency to de-emphasize the role of science. I mean, in, in reducing the budget of, of CDC, that's what's happening. Uh, when uh, they dismantled the, the global global uh, uh, security team, global health security team at the National Security Council, in some ways, they reduce the influence of scientists on uh, the executive. And this has been really a very serious component of, of those last year's uh, policies. Yes. I wanted to ask you about that. Okay. So there's a little bit of a clip about Detroit and about um, 
us kind of as a collective organism. Do you want to speak to that? Uh, what was what was said by Dr. Marabia, epidemiologist, um, in terms of this crisis or anything? Anything spark your imagination? Absolutely. There? The yeah. the thing that comes forefront to my mind is really about healthcare and how how it is becoming tangibly an issue that affects everybody. Because that, to me, it, with the spread of the coronavirus, is really a clear shift that has happened where a lot of these issues, let's focus on healthcare for right now. With healthcare, it's like a lot of people who are insured can hear about and know about the huge problem of insurance and know that so many people are not getting the care that they need, but at the same time still have a little bit of space to say, ah, oh, gosh, you know, that's really a bummer. But it's, it's not sad. Me. Exactly. Not it's, me. Oh, it's so sad insurance. they don't, but it's not me. And now we're seeing so clearly that... It is you. Exactly. <laughs> that if people don't have the care that they need, if they are forced to continue working to go about their daily lives and be in crowded areas, not respond effectively due to not having... not Either not being able to go see a doctor or not having the resource to, resources or paid sick leave to stop working, then that is a problem that is spreading this virus and is intimately affecting everybody else in society. Interestingly enough, too, it's the lower wage workers who interact with the most people. Hum- right. They have the most human jobs. They're the ones that are serving serving everyone. They're the ones that are interacting with the most number of humans. Sitting in an office job at a desk, okay, you might be in a big sky rise, but you're not intimately involved handing someone a sandwich, cleaning uh, someone's room. They're in the, the, the labor that's being done by the working class. Those people are often the least paid, the least insured, and, and interacting with the most number of humans. Right. So, and the other thing to consider is that we have right now estimates around 30 million or so uninsured people, and we have close to estimates put 80 to 90 million uninsured plus underinsured people. Mm-hmm. So a huge portion of the population, in addition to the fact that we're one of the, we're only, there's only two OECD countries that do not have paid sick leave, and we're one of them. The OECD are the top, you know, the, the wealthiest countries in the world. So we're, mm-hmm. we're the only two that do not have guaranteed paid sick leave. Mm-hmm. And we have a ter- we do a terrible job of just insuring people at a base level, right. any kind of insurance. Right. And there's also the problem of undocumented immigrants as right. well, that so many people that are doing jobs that are interacting with a lot of people, mm-hmm. that, right? People heavy and so very relevant in this case in terms of those would be the kind of things, the kind of jobs that we would want to have people take breaks from to stop this spread, that they're people that, undocumented people that are not about to go to the doctor and risk getting deported over getting the care that they need, essentially. That's right. And the Trump administration has made it, basically made it more dangerous for people to report because if they report, there's no guarantee they won't be deported. Right. And exactly. so people are afraid to get tested, as they should be, right? because it puts them and their, their economic lives in deep danger. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it, it points out one of the our immigration policy, our health policy, all of these things get thrown up in the air. I listened to a funny comedian clip this week. They're, they're, they're saying, Saying, uh, Trump or one, someone in the administration said, now is the time for the wall. And the comedian joked, they said, well, wait a minute, we have you know thousands of cases and Mexico has like five. Are you saying to protect Mexico from us? It was just kind of a joke. I don't know. I appreciated that, you know, uh, the, the, the levity there. But it's it's kind of points out the absurdity of the whole thing. Like, are we, you know, we're building this wall. Seriously. Walls don't protect people against epidemic, up against these right. kind of like pandemic outbreaks. They really don't. You know, right. it's the, the, the wall's not built. It's not going to be finished. And even if it was finished, it wouldn't right. protect the country from that. And yeah. right, in a public health crisis like this it really highlights the absurdity of where our money is going and right. it, and cuz at the same time we're we're still seeing these outrageous outflowings of money you know 
injecting $1.5 trillion to bail out corporations, essentially, to inject it, to make to make the corporations not so scared about this crisis. And it's it's just highlighting the ridiculousness of where the money is going while so many people are suffering and while there are such clear avenues that it could be going to actually helping people. Right. Um, I think maybe you're referring in part to the Federal Reserve Bank's uh, change of interest rates to kind of spur yeah. growth among banks and corporations. You know, and one could argue, a capitalist would argue, well, they're, see, they're trying to help the employees as it trickles down. But anyone who's studied much economics knows that that's really a false, you know, it's a false promise and it really doesn't trickle down. I mean, as we've seen in the last 10 years, as the stock market has grown and grown and grown, what have corporations done? They've hoarded the money. They've taken the money. They've used stock buybacks to, to help their shareholders. They've, they've hoarded it in, in their own bank accounts. They've done nothing really to, to raise the rage, wages of the working class. Right. And that's utterly predictable because they, they rarely do. It doesn't make them profit to do that right. in fact reduces their profits to raise wages so anyway um we're gonna uh, slip into a clip by um theo katzman theo katzman's uh, an artist who's uh, also is a solo performer here but um a member of the band wolfpeck and this is a song uh, you could be president so it's uh, apropos of keep what we've been talking kids about. yeah keep dreaming kids here we go
Oh, Theo Katzman. Thank you for that little, you can be president. So, Amar, you, you said you hadn't heard that song, so it was my choice, that particular song. No, you knew I, of the band, but you hadn't heard that. You want to comment? That you, some of the lyrics are cracking you up. Or I, you I do. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's a, a wonderful song and a great musician, and what a great message in such a funky tune. Yep. I just wanted to share what the lyrics of the chorus there are in case people couldn't <laughs> catch the words because it is just so perfect. It goes, just throw your punches and have no hesitance. Follow hunches in spite of evidence. This whole earth is just a private residence, and you could be president. Yeah. I just think that's wonderful. It's such a such a tongue-in-cheek song. It's yeah, he's being sarcastic. Satirical and taking, yeah, just, take on what's happening in the world. Yeah. What does he say? The golden rule, the golden rule ain't going to get you there. That's Treat right. other people. I just, he just goes on. It's, it's quite... Quite funny. Anyway, um, I played it for my econ students this week because I thought it was appropriate. I started them because sometimes we'll do econ song Friday and I played it for them and they all just stared at me blankly. No, <laughs> no response at all. They just looked at me like, why is he playing this song? They were so confused. But I'm glad you enjoyed it because your reaction it. I, I was more what I thought it would be. But they just were kind of in their defense. It was early when I played it for them. So they were just a little sleepy, perhaps. OK, perhaps. So. Yeah. All right. So you want to get into we're in kind of the last section of our um of our show today. We've been talking, oh, by the way, this is um, Indigo Radio. We stream every Sunday here from noon to one, and we're, we're doing all sorts of programs about politics and economics and education. And um, this is also 107.7 FM, Brattleboro, uh, WVWLP FM, Brattleboro. And I should also say the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts, in our case, and guests, and not the radio stations, to make that clear. Um, although, you know, I would argue it should be the views and opinions of other people, too. And it, it is, I think. But <laughs> whatever, we'll hold that to the side. Do you want to... Um, talk about uh, some other things just before we go we we've been discussing today capitalism the nature of this pandemic that we're talking that we're undergoing right now and Amar you want to talk a little bit about the um, the failure of testing and kind of Mm -hmm. we did touch on this but the idea of liberty but not economic freedom and those things what did you want to say about that yeah so so again to sum up a couple of things we've we've been talking about how we really see such a distinct crisis of capitalism and how the spread of the coronavirus is really bringing the systemic flaws of capitalism right to the forefront mm-hmm. and and making them seen beyond shadow, shadow of a doubt and and seeing how how deeply they impact us together right that it's not just a oh darn Poor those people that are getting screwed over by capitalism, but I I'll be a fine. What we're seeing that it's that it really affects that it really affects everybody. And another thing that we're that we're witnessing, in addition to the larger um, structural defects of capitalism, we're seeing how particular countries are responding differently to this crisis, and we're seeing how the United States is has thus far done a pretty terrible job at that so right one of the statistics just a concrete number that can that can point us to to how the united states is responding poorly to this is is how we're doing with testing right so there's statistics out there about how many covid19 tests are performed per million people in the Mm -hmm. population um the place with the with the highest rate of testing is bahrain with 4,910 tests per million. These are stats as of uh, March 11th. That's a high number. That's a high number. The second highest is South Korea with 4,099 people. Um, And where the United States sits in that place is at uh, 26 tests per million people. And again, that's, that's compared 
to a place where where it's where things are being responded to much more effectively, especially in terms of testing, like South Korea, mm-hmm. 4,000 tests per million people. And they're getting on top of it. I mean, Absolutely. I've heard that South Korea is getting on top of the yep. spread. Yep. Partially because they know who's got the disease and they can quarantine exactly. and isolate. Right. And right. That's that's at the beginning of this. That's such a crucial. Right now, as we right sit here now, and speak. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Right now, it is crucial to be having to be testing effectively and to be controlling the spread of this such that it like it's going to get out it's going to spread but as we were talking about earlier our healthcare system is completely ill-equipped to handle something of this magnitude right now and one of the things that slowing this spread down could do and one of the ways that could happen is by vastly increasing testing if we slow down the spread of this then there's actually a chance for some of the medical infrastructure to be able to handle these cases as they get there right. instead of just being completely universally flooded with way more cases than than can be handled in in the hospitals that we have. Yeah, a couple of points to make on that is that um, data I read when I came this morning when we were doing research for the show said that we we have currently 45,000 ICU beds in the country, which I can't believe it's so low. And they said if the crisis hits where they predict it might hit, that we need 2 million beds. Um, that's, that's on a national level. At a local level, I had mm-hmm. some students this week that were meeting with the CEO of the Brattleboro Hospital just as one of these kind of meet and greets about something else. And students happened to ask them, hey, what are you guys doing to prepare for the coronavirus crisis? And, and their CEO responded, oh, well, we've got 32 beds you know, set aside to help you know, in quarantine situations, which sounds fine, I guess. If you were if you were flattening the curve, like you said, if you can get ahead of it and know who's got it and isolate them, mm-hmm. the problem is people in Vermont can't get tests. You've probably heard these right. stories, Amar. They they they're getting sick. They're getting some kind of flu. They're and they're being turned away because we don't have the tests in Vermont to see if they even have. The, so then they're going back home and spreading the virus around, not going into quarantine. And so those thirty two beds in Brattleboro will quickly become overwhelmed should some of the predictions hold of, of how it's right. going to spread. And then we end up with a situation like we see in Italy, essentially, in Milan, right. exactly where you have to take you got to make decisions really hard decisions about who to save and who to let die essentially right and that's that's you know an abomination that shouldn't Absolutely. shouldn't happen um, and it, it speaks to all sorts of things but the and and what i heard too and i wish i knew more about this but but if you're listening you can investigate this but the the, the who who to world health organization has had a protocol for putting these tests in place and we decided to create our own protocol and not go along with their guidance again because of the crazy administration the american ideology and that protocol that we've developed and it's just a, it's just like a story that's just coming on board because of course all this stuff is happening in real time but they, they think that might be the part of the crisis why we don't have the because we decided to design our own protocol of how these tests would get put out mm-hmm. and not follow the who guidance which would have in, incre- massively increased um you know the testing coming out and just at one point is that i love looking at the map and seeing alabama had no cases being surrounded by other states that had cases and i thought to myself that's outrageous of course alabama cases alabama doesn't in case because I haven't tested anyone. Right. You know, that's got to be just it, a right? matter of, just a matter of time. There, it's absurd, right? you know, right? I mean, yeah. So and so the other the other piece I wanted to touch on before we get to the end here, and I think you had some points you wanted to make about this too, about the American way and the the false sense of liberty that we have. And of course, it's a li- it's a limited liberty in terms of the actual important decisions that we get to make, because so much of that liberty is curtailed by economics economics right exactly but as far as responding to a crisis like this we don't have the infrastructure or collective mentality of like responding 
of responding collectively and like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll listen as an American. I will listen to this directive and stay inside for the for the good of the community. There's such a such an attitude of like, uh, I get to do what I want. You're not going to tell me what to do. And so responding collectively to a crisis like this um, is so out of the norm of of what traditionally gets done essentially right it's it's and it's funny i always thought the american version of liberty was so kind of convoluted because people are like you're not going to take my guns you're not going to you're not going to tell me what to do but what they don't realize is they're already telling you what to do they control mm-hmm. all the resources the reason you're living in a trailer the reason you're living in a in a, a ghetto the reason you're the reason your parents are don't have health insurance the reason you have diabetes untreated is because they did tell you what to do you think right. you're being you think you have right. control of your life you think you've got freedom but economic freedom is what it's about really right. you know and you don't have any economic freedom right. you've got economic control that's right. and it's hidden from you that's you know? right um, or not hidden in terms of you know your access to resources. Uh, the one thing I want to touch on the last thing before we and we could you could do twenty shows about this honestly and we Seriously. probably Indigo Radio probably will do another show. We could do a whole show about migration mm-hmm. and, and the impact it's having on migrants. Um, we could do a whole show about what's going on in schools and the impact mm-hmm. on schools. I mean there, the the list is endless really of, mm-hmm. of ways you could go with this discussion and it's unfolding in real time of course. So there is a very good chance that, that we as Indigo Radio we're still figuring out what next week's show will be. But my guess is it'll be something related to to this crisis as it mm-hmm. unfolds. But the one thing I want to mention, which is, is is deeply, deeply draconian and upsetting, is that people might know that at the end of last year, 2019, the Trump administration is putting forth a new um, policy, basically, that removes people, 700,000 people from access to SNAP, which is essentially food stamps, mm-hmm. people in crisis living on the margins, having access to food. Mm-hmm. And it's removing 700,000 of our most vulnerable citizens from getting access to this mm-hmm. this food at, at a, just, to, just to survive, essentially. And the data shows that due Doing this, economists know it will not incentivize people to get work. It doesn't. It doesn't work that way. So it's a failed policy. And they also show that the people that get SNAP spread that food around to other people around them who are also impoverished. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the person or the family that's being affected. It's their extended family that's losing food from this. Mm-hmm. And then people ask the Trump administration, you know, are you going to withdraw this policy now that we have this crisis? Are you going to help those seven hundred thousand people access food in this time when they might even more people losing their jobs? And the answer, of course to this point has been no. Yeah. Yep. And 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 again, we've seen we're seeing this so clearly at at a time of a crisis like this where poor working class, middle class people are are not being aided and are being pushed aside from any kind of help in this while at the same time big businesses, corporations are getting completely bailed out and completely getting essentially the socialism that we are told is completely Un- impossible for the masses it's right. of course fine for the elite that's right and so we're back to the same story in America but you know this is an interesting time that it's it's curious to see because it, these kind of crises open up um, new discussions like we're having today and so it may may open people's minds up to wait a minute we've you know people that might not think politically might go right. this is insane what's going why are we not prepared and I think it will have I mean in a positive way perhaps if we can think of one positive coming out of this it will have a, a chance of opening people's minds to right. other ways of organizing economically socially politically right. yeah right because it's they're not new things coming up they're not new but they're so unavoidably coming to the surface that yeah. we 
can't really move past this without critically looking at how our system is organized. It's yeah. really bringing this to the forefront. You scrape away the soil and you're like, ooh, something's starting to smell. You realize, oh, you're on top of a, a, of a, a pile of dung and you scraped away the, the soil on top of it and you're like, oh, it smells down here. Like, that's well, right. It well does. Put. <laughs> it well does. Put. Okay, that was, that's a funny thing to leave people with. But anyway, uh, thank you all for listening. This has been WVEW 107.7 FM, your community radio station, um, Brattleboro. And this has been Indigo Radio streaming live to you every Sunday from noon to one. Uh, Amar, you want to say anything else uh, about the outro song? How about that? You want to give us something about the outro um, song? Yeah, I just want to say thanks for listening today. Um, I know this is on a lot of people's minds, and hopefully people are continuing to do research about this and, yeah, find out statistics and information beyond the pure panic that is out there in the media, essentially. Uh, we're going to finish out here with a song by Tracy Chapman. Yep. Um, talking about, talking a revolution. about a revolution. All right. That's Which right. is what we need. That okay. is. Have a good Thank Sunday, everyone. Much. Yep. Thanks for being there. Don't you know you're talking about a revolution sounds Don't you know you're talking about a revolution sounds while they're standing in the welfare lines Crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation Wasting time in the unemployment lines Sitting around waiting for a promotion Don't you know